0: Mimi's going to come out and read to us.
1: Uh, The second reading is from the Gospel of Luke. The birth of Jesus foretold. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee You you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her.
0: Thank you, Mimi. So as I said, um, this is the second Sunday of Advent And those two readings uh, were both about a meeting with Gabriel. uh, First of all, with Zachariah and Mary. Um, And, you know, in both cases, that call, you know, that meeting that they had was completely unexpected. He was warning them what was to happen. And I think it's quite interesting that, you know, that both of them express doubts as to what would happen. Zechariah says, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well on in years. And Mary says, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And for this, notice, Zechariah is struck dumb. You will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. But Mary gets away with it completely. I mean, you know, the angel just says, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so the Holy One will be born and we'll be called the Son of God. Well, you know, I mean, it's not really equal, is it, I don't think. There's no punishment at all involved. Anyway, that's by the by. But as we come to Christmas, I think, it's worth looking at how open we are to that divine nature breaking through in our lives like that? And if it did, what would our reaction be? And if the truth be told, most of us don't expect a visit from an angel. You know, probably neither did Zechariah or Mary. They were just sort of ordinary people getting on with their lives like us, and then, shazam, there it was. And in both cases, it was Gabriel that showed up. I mean, Gabriel is pretty much the go-to guy when God wants to contact humans. He was the one responsible for Daniel's visions in the Old Testament. And Islam, funnily enough, Islam uh, regards uh, Gabriel as an archangel sent by God to various prophets, among them Muhammad. In fact, the first five verses of the 96th chapter of the Quran, thank you Google, is believed by Muslims to have been the first verses revealed by Gabriel uh, to Muhammad. Also the Mormons, would you believe it, think that the angel Gabriel is the same individual as the prophet Noah in his mortal ministry. So he's everywhere, Gabriel. And if you're looking for an angelic visit, it's probably going to be Gabriel, just to warn you, who's going to come along. And interestingly enough, the word Gabriel means God is my strength. And it's almost as if those visited felt the strength of that divine nature and in doing so got caught up with the purposes of God. But, you know, I think to be visited is something that we all do look for. We often want one of those peak experiences, you know, that we hear so much about. Obviously, many of the spiritual greats talk about those experiences, you know, Moses, Elijah, John the Baptist, Jesus, Buddha, Muhammad, and many people through the ages have spoken about being visited by that divine nature. And the thought of such a visit, you know, of enlightenment is a great spur, I think, to seekers all over the world. Enlightenment is still, I think, a big draw. But can we expect it? Or should we expect it? You know, most of those leaders certainly didn't expect it. Certainly not Moses or Zechariah or Mary. In fact, it's Mary's humility that we most think of in terms of her virtues. But no matter how much we're told not to expect those experiences... Or that they're of no real importance because the real value is just living in the present moment. And whatever you're given, be it a peak or a trough, is absolutely fine and that's all right to do that. You know, however much we say these things, you know, the truth is we're still drawn to them. You know, we're interested in them. We want to read about them. We want to meet people who've had these experiences. And, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's natural, it's like wanting to fall in love, or it's like wanting to receive a great blessing. And it's also, I think, natural that we think about these experiences during Advent. Advent from from the Latin word, two words, adveneri. That's where it comes from, Advent, comes from the Latin words adveneri. Ad meaning to, and veneer meaning to come. So in other words, Advent to come to, we are waiting for something to arrive. The Christ at Christmas, the second coming. It's a time of great looking forward to, of expectation, of possibility. And, you know, why not the possibility that we might come into contact with the ground of all being? You know, that universal mind, God, that great spirit of all You know, that's at the center of everything. Why not think about that now? Why not expect that? You know, people often ask that question, you know, who would the perfect dinner guest be? And for my money, it's not George Clooney, but for my money, Abraham had it right when he welcomed God in that famous time in Genesis where he provided food uh, in his great spiritual encounter. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the trees at Mamre, while he was sitting at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing there. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. If I find favour in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought and then maybe wash your feet and rest under the tree. Let me bring you something to eat so that you may be refreshed. And then go on your way now that you've come to your servant. Very well, they said. Do as I say. And that famous icon with the three visitors on it is the icon of welcome. That's the icon. Those are the three aspects of God that supposedly welcomed, that, that met with Abraham. And he got the visit. And he responded appropriately. But, you know, what can we expect in terms of this? I read a story just a few weeks ago about an abbot who was told uh, that a messiah was among his dwindling monastic order. His monastic order was dwindling, it was all crumbling away, but someone told him that the messiah was among the order. And I think that gives us a clue as to how to prepare for such a visit. In in a little bit of the story, it said, could he possibly, it says in the story, have meant that the Messiah was one of us monks in the monastery? In that case, he asked, which one of us is the Messiah? As the monks contemplated this matter, the monks began to treat each other with extraordinary respect on the off chance that one of them might be the Messiah, and in turn, each monk began to treat himself with extraordinary respect, and within a few years, the monastery once again began, became a thriving order, a vibrant center of light and spirituality in the realm. You know, one of the ways that we answer the call is by treating everyone as if they were a guest from God. Jesus said, you know, that famous parable, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you let me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you and thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in or need clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? The king replied, Truly I tell you, whoever you did for one of these least of my brothers and sisters, you did it for me. And I think for us to receive a visit from God, we have to receive her in our very midst, in our lives. We have to receive God in our very lives like Abraham did. When... We are Gabriel, then God is our strength. We are able to receive that divine nature through everyone that comes our way. We're able to develop an exquisite intimacy, and we can do that, you know, it, in even the, the most strange and just sudden circumstances. We can create an, an exquisite intimacy with all who come to us as we share. The Christ that's within us with the Christ that's within them but to do that you've got to let go of the judgments you have of others we have to let go of our desire to control them we have to let go of our favoritism and instead of all that we have to receive each person as a bringer of light see each person as a Gabriel coming to us with news from the Most High. Now, I know it's difficult given our families and our friends, but in reality, what we're looking for, you know, that idea of visitation, from what we're looking for is with us all the time. We just don't see it. But, you know, in those wonderful words of Psalm 8, it perfectly captures our relationship with that visit. Psalm 8, bit of it, says, O Lord our God, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set their glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength. What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visited him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. O Lord our God, how excellent is your name in all the earth. And the key line there, I think, is out of the mouths of babes and sucklings. From anyone, we can derive strength. The strength of the Lord. The visit of Gabriel. It does not have to be a person of indeterminate sex with wings and a halo in order to be an angel. And it probably, just to let you know, it probably won't be. It's more likely to be someone you meet at the reception, someone at work, someone around your own table. And it's just that we don't recognize them. They don't conform to the idea of a visitation from God. And it's all about our expectation, which is why the season of Advent is so fitting for this. You know, just what are we expecting? What do we think we're coming to? You know, for most of us, this period is just about getting through the holiday season without going bankrupt and without making a fool of ourselves. You know, we like to enjoy it in a secular way. We like to feel the goodness. We like to see the magic. We like to taste it, the flavour. And, you know, at that level, it might as well be a birthday or Thanksgiving or really any old party. What Advent challenges us to do is to look for the Christ, to look forward to that second coming. The moment where all that is conscious becomes aware of the true nature of itself. Definition of the second coming. The moment where all that is conscious becomes aware of the true nature of itself. It is the awakening moment. But we miss it because we think we know what we're looking for. Flashes of light altered states of consciousness, transcendental meditation, people of uh, indeterminate sex uh, with wings, when in fact it is out of the mouths of babes and sucklings. That's where it's going to come. To be conscious of that. We see it in children, in babies, when you look at them, you just see it. To be conscious of that meeting, you have to give value and attention to everyone that comes our way. We have to be conscious of the moments that we share with people. You know, too often it just goes by like a blur. You know, we chat to one person and then the next and then the next and then the next. It's like speed dating with no ulterior motive. We just get by. But if we consider that the next person we meet might have a message from God for us, and the same with the next person and the next after that, then we linger with that person. We really listen to what they're saying. We listen and we're conscious of every moment. We share our Christ nature with their Christ nature. And before long, we're talking angel to angel. Most of the time, we simply rush from one person to the next, getting on as fast as we can, getting on to the next thing which is surely more important than the last thing, and we just carry on. But if we knew it was actually Gabriel talking to us, that that nature was in our midst, well, if the Messiah was in our midst, like in that story, then maybe we'd slow down and pay a little bit more attention. That hymn we sang earlier on today, Come down, O love divine, seek thou this soul of mine, and visit it with thine own ardour glowing. O Comforter, draw near and within my heart appear and kindle it, thy holy flame bestowing. That asking for a connection with the divine, we're asking for an angelic visit, and it goes on. And so the yearning, strong, and we feel that yearning, with which this soul will long shall far outpass the power of human telling. For no one can guess its grace till love creates a space wherein the Holy Spirit makes a dwelling. To love create a space. We have to create a space, a space in time and place where we can prepare ourselves to meet with that angel, wherein the Holy Spirit makes its dwelling. And that's the expectation that we're asked to have at Advent. The reason Christmas comes round every year is not just for eating and drinking and giving gifts. It's to remind us that the Christ can be born in the lowliest of circumstances, in a manger, in a stable, in a friend, in a family, in a stranger on the street, in the person we talk to at reception. It's there if we seek it, if we found a place for it. As Meister Eckhart famously said in the 14th century, What good is it to me if Mary gave birth to the Son of God 1400 years ago, if I do not give birth to the Son of God in me today? And so this Advent, look out for your angel. You never know when they'll appear. Let's pray. And we do pray for our whole community at this time. We pray for all those working in hotels, on the lifts, all around our valley. Pray for those coming. We just pray that there may be a sense of connection between peoples here, a sense of blessing. We pray for our nation, pray for our leaders, that you'll give them a sense of that peace that passes all understanding, that love. That humility to look for messages in others. We pray for those who are suffering because of climate change. There's people killed in the fire in India. People suffering from the fires in Australia. Pray for those in war zones. Suffering under unjust regimes without justice. Pray that they may be visited by someone willing to share their Christ with them. Pray for those in prisons. Pray for those in hospital. Also pray for those in our community who are not well at the moment. Particularly we pray today for Joel Libby, Alice Davis's nephew, who had a severe seizure and fell hitting his head and is going to surgery uh, for a brain bleed at the moment. Pray for Heather Morrow, who, who's recovering, for Rita Hunter, Pat Smith, Brett McKenzie, Elizabeth Robin Morse in her pregnancy, for Connie Orcutt, recovering from back surgery, for Howard Mogluwa uh, of Howard's Last Chance Garage, who is having tests at the moment for a growth. We pray for Michael Abdo also having tests. Just pray for those that we know that are struggling or need healing in our hearts. We just remember them now. Ask your Holy Spirit just to bless them and our hearts to be open to them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're very lucky to have Shelley Warren with us today, who's going to play this special music that's going to entrance you into opening your wallets and pouring money into the plate when it comes by. We work very hard on these things here at the chapel. Um, And we're going to pass that round, and uh, thank you in advance for your generosity.